They do a great job, and they're really a blessing to me in my life, and I enjoy getting together and practicing each week and learning new songs. And uh, if you've got some ideas for songs, why don't you just jot them down, and, and we'll be happy to take a look at them. Won't promise you we'll do them, but we'll look at them. <laughs> and uh, if you're a visitor with us today, I want to welcome you. Trisha usually does that, so I'm going to get to today. But we're glad that you're here, and we've got a visitor card in the seat back in front of you. If you'll fill that out at the end of the service, take it out to our information booth. You saw that when you came in. We've got a free gift for you out there. It's a picture of me going, no, not really. It's, re it's really not. It's a coffee mug, and uh, you'll, you'll enjoy that. If you don't drink coffee, you can give it to your neighbors. But uh, we're glad that you're here today. And, uh, you know, what I believe, I'm not one of those guys that thinks everybody ought to go to his church. I really don't believe that. I believe that God has called a certain people to this church. And if you're here today and God's calling you to come join this body, we would love to have you. But you need to be somewhere. The Bible says that we do not need to forsake the assembling together of ourselves. So if you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you here. But make sure that you're plugged in somewhere. Amen? Amen. So we are really thankful that you're here. If you've got your Bibles, lift them up this morning. There you go. And repeat after me. Say, this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's Word. It's His truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You know why I do that every week? I do it because I want to make sure that you got your head and your heart right. See, God's word is true. And so when we come in here, you need to believe that you are who the Bible says that you are. If you are a saved person today, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are who this Bible says you are. And you know who this Bible says you are? You are a child of God. And as a child of God, that means that you have all the rights and privileges of all the things that belong to a child of God. You're a brother or sister of Jesus. You are a resident of heaven. It's very much like being a resident of the United States. If you're an American citizen, that means you have all the rights and privileges that come with being an American citizen. As a citizen of heaven, as a son or a daughter of God... You have all the rights and privileges that come along with being a son or daughter of God. That's pretty good stuff. That's pretty good stuff. That means all those promises that are in there belong to you. The Word talks about that they are yes and amen. I don't know about you guys, but that's pretty good news to me. Amen? amen. All right, well, I've got to tell you a little story. Um, th this is a made-up story, but I think you'll like it. Billy Graham was speaking somewhere, and, and he walked outside, and it was just he and the driver, and they had this really nice limousine for him out front, and he walked out front, and the driver came up and said, all right, Brother Graham, it's time to go, and Brother Graham said, look, I don't get to drive that often anymore. I would really like to drive this limousine, and the limousine driver said, oh, Brother Graham, I, I can't let you drive. I'll lose my job. He said, oh, please let me drive. I don't get to drive that much, so they went back and forth. The guy finally said, fine, so he gave Brother Graham his hat, his little limousine driver hat, and the limousine driver went and sat in the back. Brother Graham got up front. Well, he jumped in, put that thing in the drive, and floored it. I mean, woo! they're out of the airport he's flying through the airport gate i mean he's up he's running a hundred miles an hour i mean he is flying down the highway well the state trooper sees what's going on and whips out behind him pulls a limo over walks up rolls down the window looks inside see who's see who's driving and he walks back to his squad car and calls the station said i need to speak to the chief right now 
And the dispatcher said, all right, transferred him to the chief. So he said, yeah, what's going on? He said, look, we got a problem. He said, I've caught this limousine driving 100 miles an hour down the highway. He said, you got to be kidding me. 100 miles an hour, well, bring them in. He said, I can't, you don't understand. There's somebody really important in the back. He said, what do you mean somebody important in the back? He said, is it the mayor? He said, no, it's not the mayor. He said, well, is it the governor? No, it's not the governor. Is it the president of the United States? Higher than that. He said, man, what are you talking about? He said, well, it's got to be Jesus in the back because Billy Graham is driving the limousine. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. You know, we're going to be talking the next four weeks about real life. And I titled this series Real Life. Somebody else gave me the idea for living like no one else so that you can live like no one else. And as Christians, God has promised us all these great blessings. There are all these promises in the Bible that belong to us, but they won't come into our lives unless we begin to live like those promises are ours. See, there are so many times in the Bible, and if you look in the Old and the New Testament, the promises almost every single time come with an if. If you'll do this, then this will happen. If you'll do this, then this will happen. Old and New Testament, Jesus did it the same way. He always said, if you want to do something, if you'll do this, if you'll believe, if you'll step out in faith, whatever the statement was, there was always an if. What does that tell us? What that tells me is we're not robots. And being blessed in life is not automatic. It doesn't just happen. There's a requirement on our end to do certain things to receive the blessing that God has for us. So what we're going to talk about over the next four weeks are just some examples from Scripture where we actually go through and understand what really living is, what real life is supposed to be like for us. And as you guys know, I believe the Bible is a very, very practical book. So I'm going to give you very, very practical things that you can do to begin to walk in the truth and the fullness of who God's created you to be. Trish and I's personal passion. Our personal ministry passion is this, to help people realize who they are in Christ and begin to walk in the promises of God. We want you to understand who you are. Because here's the thing, if you ever begin to realize how powerful you are, how loved you are, how equipped you are, you will do amazing things for God. And that doesn't mean if you have special something or another. If you have money, if you have all these gifts, it doesn't matter. Every person in here who is a child of God, every person that hears my voice today has a specific call of God on your life. You do. God has equipped you with certain gifts and abilities and things that he has called you to do. He has a plan. The Bible says he has a plan and purpose for everyone. Everyone. But we have to choose, this is the if part, we have to choose to get in line with God's will for us and walk that out. If we do that, everybody say if. If we do that, if we begin to walk after what God's called us to do, we will walk in real life, the real life that God has planned for you. Doesn't that sound good? I mean, that's what I want in my life, and I couldn't think of a better series to kick off the new year than finding out how do I really walk in the fullness of what God's called me to do? How do I walk in real life? Well, the way you do that is by living like no one else so that you can live like no one else. But, but part one is this. You have to do first things first. Every journey begins with a first step. And our first step today is this. The first thing you have to do to walk in the fullness of who God's called you to do and be is to receive victory over yourself. Everyone say this. I need victory over me. Point your finger at yourself. Over me. 
See, here's what I want you to understand today, and I have learned this in my life to be absolutely true. You don't have to go out there and be looking for a devil behind every rock to have challenges in your life. Most of the challenges that I've encountered in my own life have not been the devil. See, I understand that Jesus said, greater is he that's in us than he who's in the world. So I, I realize that. And I've had some encounters before that were kind of weird. But I always knew that God was bigger than whatever situation I faced that the enemy threw at me. But let me tell you who my biggest competitor in life, my biggest stumbling block life, you know who it is? Me. I mean, was anybody here last Sunday when I opened the umbrella? <laughs> Ta-da! You know, I mean, God, God has uniquely created us and, and hand, handcrafted us. But I want to tell you what, you don't have to let the devil try to mess you up. You are completely capable of messing your own life up. <laughs> Does anybody understand that? Does anybody ever made mistakes? The, the devil didn't have anything. Oh, the devil made, the devil didn't make you do anything. I ate those Twinkies. The devil did not feed you Twinkies. <laughs> right? And, and how often that term that's in our society so well, it says, the devil what? Made me do it. The, dev the devil didn't do squat. He just gave you an opportunity. You did it. Right? So let's go ahead and clear up this misconception right now. The first thing you have to do to get victory in your life is you have to beat yourself. Now, I've explained to you that growing up, I played golf competitively all through junior high and high school. had an opportunity to go play in college. And, and I, I used to be a decent golfer. But I can tell you from the time that I started playing, I learned from the get-go that I was never competing against someone else. I always realized that if I played my game really well, I would do fine. But if I tried to beat somebody else, hit the ball a little harder, try something slick, do something crazy, like I was going to mess myself up. I was my own worst enemy on the golf course. And it's that way in life. You're your own worst enemy. So the first thing you have to do is get victory over your flesh. Uh, we're going to be talking today scripturally from 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be reading about a guy named Josiah. Everyone say Josiah. Josiah. Josiah, let me give you a little history here. King Josiah became king. Anybody want to guess how old he was? Ten, no. Eight years old. He became the king... When he was eight years old, king of Judah, how would you like to be a king or a queen at eight years old? Are you equipped at eight years old? Bonnie does. <laughs> uh, but let me, let me tell you, is anybody in here eight years old? No, they're all upstairs, aren't they? When I was eight years old, I mean, I, I, was, <laughs> I was sitting in front of the TV watching Super Friends. I mean, Scooby-Doo. Eight years, I was not prepared to lead anybody when I was eight years old. This guy becomes the king of Judah at the age of eight. That's an amazing thing. And so to understand how he became successful as a king, and he was very successful as a king, but to understand that, this guy's got something going on. But you have to realize the first thing he had to do was get victory over himself. Open up in your notes or in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 34. I'm going to start reading verse 31 here. Then the king stood in his place, and he made a covenant... We just talked about covenants, didn't we, a few minutes ago? Made a covenant, a promise, a contract before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and all of his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Let me tell you what had happened. When Josiah became king, 
The previous 250 years, almost every one of those kings was a really, really, really bad person. Even though they were over God's kingdom, they didn't serve God at all. They served idols. They did some horrible, horrible things. And so when uh, Josiah had come in and taken over his king, they weren't reading the scriptures. They were worshiping idols. So he didn't grow up in Sunday school class. He had heard about who God was, but nobody had ever read him the scriptures. And what's interesting is, is Josiah began to realize at a young age, and this is not in your notes, but I want you to understand this. I believe Josiah's mom, I think her name was Jedediah. I've checked that. Carol, if you'll look and see real quick. I think her name was Jedediah. But I was studying this last night, and I thought it was interesting, and I should have put it in your notes. Josiah's mom in Scripture, what his mom's name meant was darling of the Lord. And Josiah's dad was about as bad a guy as you could want to be. But his mom's name was darling of the Lord. And I just have to believe, the Scripture doesn't tell us this, but I just have to believe that he was getting a godly influence from somebody. And I think it was from his mom. A darling of the Lord. And, and somehow or another, he knew that when he, take o- he took over as king, what he did in the first eight years of his reign, from the age of 18 through the age of 16, he sent people out throughout the land, and they tore down all the altars. They tore down all the Asherah poles, all the cult things that were out there. As a young man, as a kid, he began to go out there on this crusade to get his country's heart turned back towards God. Well, it was during this period of time when he was 16 years old, they decided they were going to rebuild the temple. So they started going in and collecting tithes and offerings, and they began to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And as they did that, one of the priests, one of the guys, uncovered a scroll. In this scroll, it's believed by scholars to be Deuteronomy 28. And Deuteronomy 28 is where it talks about all the promises of the covenant of God. You'll be blessed in the in your barns, in the farms, in your animals, in your livestock, in your families. And then there are also the curses that go along with that for disobedience. And what happened, one of the servants came to the king and said, King, we found this. And he said, read it to me. And when he read it to Josiah, he was heartbroken because he realized that his country had totally turned its back on God and was doing the opposite thing. Now, this is a young man. This is a young man, and he was so impacted by these words that leapt out of the Scripture, he realized we have so messed this up that he called everybody together. And that's what verse 31 is about. He called everyone together, and they read the Scripture to all the people that were there. And then Josiah took his place, and he made a covenant, covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. So that scripture is when he found out. Josiah had a decision to make. Many of you today are going to have a decision to make. Because one of the things I try to do every Sunday when we're in here in church is to tell you the truth. And the, the thing, the funny thing about the truth is you have to make a decision whether you're going to believe it or not. And what happened when Josiah was confronted with the scripture, with God's word, He realized that he had to make a decision to either go bury that thing back where they found it or to do what it said. And he chose, even as a 16-year-old at this point, guys, even as a 16-year-old, he said, you know what? We're going to serve God. And he stood before the Lord and made a covenant that, God, I'm going to follow what your word says. I'm going to do what your word says. 
That's a pretty amazing thing. So how did Josiah conquer himself? It's your first blank. How did Josiah conquer himself? There's a few things he did, but we're going to go through those. Number one, Josiah remained open and teachable. Josiah remained open and teachable. Instead of trying to convince everyone that he knew it all, Josiah humbled himself. He departed from the ways of his arrogant father and grandfather, and he sought God. And this is the sub-blank that's there. The first step in winning our victory is surrendering to God. The first step on your way to getting yourself lined up with God is surrendering to God his way of doing things. Number one, Josiah had a, made, had a decision to make. When he was confronted with the tru- truth, he had to decide, am I going to surrender to this truth? Am I going to do God's will? Or am I going to do things my way? He chose to surrender to God. Number two, Josiah removed obstacles that carried forward from the past. Josiah swept the country clean of idols. I want you to understand something. This is a huge deal to me. This is a huge deal. He removed obstacles carried forward from his past, from the country's past. He swept the country clean of idols. Our past does not define our future. Your past, what you did yesterday, does not have to define your future. But we must choose to depart from the things that have kept us in chains. And I want you to understand, and I'm going to go into a little detail here because I think this is critically important. Who you were yesterday, who you were in 2010 is over. 2010 is over. You can't go back. We don't have a magical time machine where you can go back. It's over. But your past, 2010, doesn't have to define 2011 for you. You can choose because of the price that Jesus paid. You can choose not to live the same way that you did. But you have to understand something like I've been saying. You have a part to play. And and Josiah, understand Josiah's past. For 250 years, his country had not followed God. Let me tell you a little bit about Josiah's immediate family. Tell you about his grandfather and his father. 2 Chronicles 33, 1 through 2 says this. This is Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And here's what we know about his reign. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations. That was Josiah's granddaddy. 55 years did evil in the sight of God. Now what about Josiah's father? Did he have a better influence there? Verse 22 says this. His father's name was Amon. He did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father had done. And Amon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made, and he served them. So I want you to understand something. Josiah didn't grow up in this environment where he was nurtured to be a godly person. Anybody else grow up in a home like that? Maybe where the example that you saw around you was not something that would lead you toward a life that was going to be really good. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian family. Or maybe you grew up in a hypocritical family. Whatever the situation was, let me explain something to you today. That does not have to define who you are. What your grandfather did, what your father did, all that other stuff, that doesn't have to define who you are. Let me explain to you a little more detail, a little family history here. My family is from all over the South. 
as many of yours are. Even I have relatives that were from here. But one of my uncles was a rich, wealthy doctor. Or my, I'm sorry, one of my grandfathers. Rich, wealthy doctor. He was a slave owner. When I was in high school, my mom was really into studying history of families and all that other stuff. Here's what we found out. We, we were able to trace where some of the slaves from the family lived. It turned out one of the slaves' families had moved to Waxahachie, which is where we lived, and it turned out it was the principal at her high school. So our families got together, our family, and sure enough, traced it all the way back. That now my mom is working for the principal, a black gentleman, a principal who we could trace back to East Texas to the plantation that was owned that he was owned by my my great 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 whatever grandfather now i don't have any slaves i have three children sometimes they feel like i treat them like slaves <laughs> now my grandfather released all his slaves i want you to understand something does our past define who we are no it doesn't define who we are we should be proud of some of the things that happened in our heritage some of them are good some of them are really bad Right? That's part of our heritage. But that does not have to define who we are. You are able to make your own decisions. And no matter what family you come from, no matter what's happened in your past, your recent past or your long-time past does not define who you are. You get to choose. Josiah had to make a decision. When the truth hit him in the face, he had to make a decision. Well, I saw what granddaddy did, and I saw what daddy did. What am I going to do? 250 years of history says it's this way, and he had to choose. And here's what he chose. He chose to follow God. What's interesting is that we hear a lot about Josiah, but not a lot about some of these other guys. Because Josiah chose to do things God's way. You have hope today. You can do things God's way. Amen? So don't feel like you're a slave to that. The next four verses continue to tell us that Joshua chopped down all the altars where the people had offered up incense to Baal. He removed the carved images and molten images and ground them into powder. He burned the bones of the priests that served those other places and put them on the altars. He did these things not just in Judah, but also throughout the whole land of Israel. He was so on fire to get God's ways right that he destroyed all those things. There's another point that I want to make, and you need to write this down. When God sets you free from something, Say God sets you free from alcohol. Maybe you've had a problem with alcohol your whole life, and, and God has set you free from that. And, and you still maybe struggle a little bit, but you know God sets you free. Let me tell you where you shouldn't go. Don't go back to the bar. Sounds kind of simple, doesn't it? If you struggle with alcohol, don't go back to the bar. If you have challenges with, with drugs, don't get around people that do drugs. If, if you have challenges with pornography, don't turn the computer on without somebody around you. Whatever the challenge is that you may face in your life, don't put yourself into a situation where you can be tempted by that challenge. Seems like common sense, doesn't it? Understand something. The reason that Josiah went out and tore all that stuff down is because he didn't want people to get drawn back into it. So he went out there and destroyed those places. Why do I say that? There are some areas maybe in your life that you need to destroy. Maybe there's some images, guys, some pornographic images that you know where they're stuck. Why don't you burn those things? 
Why don't you delete all that from your computer? You know, if alcohol is your challenge, why don't you get rid of all it and stay away from all of it? And that's what Josiah is teaching us, is you've got to destroy that stuff. And he made a point. He didn't just destroy the priests that were worshiping these images. He burned them and spread their ashes there. In other words, he made really sure that that stuff was gone. Some of y'all are going, I wish he'd stop preaching right now. <laughs> that's enough for today. Whatever challenge you're facing in your life, whatever addiction it is, whatever thing that's going on in your life that causes you problems, if you have a problem with finances, get somebody to help you. If you have a problem with alcohol, get somebody to help you. Pornography, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Maybe you don't have any challenges. Praise God. Keep walking in truth. Don't put yourself in a position to get back in trouble. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because you're more than liable to get your hand bit by a snake if you stick it where the snake lives. Does that make sense? So don't, don't go there. You know, there was an old Japanese kung fu master. I heard this somewhere. And, and one of his students said, how do I keep from getting hit, great master? And the great master looked at him and said, don't be there. <laughs> a lot of truth in that little statement in there. You're liable to not get hit if you're not where they're going to hit you. <laughs> if you want to avoid sin, don't go where sin is. Because if you put yourself in that position, you're going to get in trouble. Destroy the idols. Destroy the temple. Get rid of all that stuff. If you're really serious, that's what you need to do. Okay? Number three, Josiah realized what, it, realized what he needed to do, and he gave it. Josiah realized what he needed to do, and he gave it. Victory always carries a personal cost. There's a lot in that. For Josiah, that meant repairing the temple and reinstating the Passover. Winning costs you something. Winning costs you something. You know, growing up playing sports my whole life, I remember many coaches saying to me, when you go out and play today, I want you to leave it all on the field. In other words, give it everything you have. Don't halfway play. You know, Trisha tells a funny story, and I'll tell it because she's not here. Y'all don't tell her I said anything. When she was a kid, a little kid, um, she, she was running a long-distance race, and, and the coach said, now you need to pace yourself. So she learned how to pace herself, right, so she wouldn't just wear herself out in a long-distance run. Well, somebody wasn't able to make it for the sprint that day. So Trisha came in, and she was running the sprint. It was like a 40-yard dash or something or a 100-yard dash. And so anyway, she brought in the sprint. Well, she had only been trained to run long distance. She hadn't been trained to run the sprint. So when the, the gun went off, she took off like this, you know. And she said, I could not understand why everybody else was just flying away. She goes, boy, I'll catch up later. <laughs> She was, she was running like she was running a long-distance race in a sprint. It cost you something. She should have laid it all out there and gone for it. She didn't know any better. Well, now you know. If you want to do well in your life, you need to approach it with passion. It is going to cost you something. See, right now, one of my goals this year is to lose 35 pounds. Is that just going to happen? No. It isn't just going to happen. I'm going to have to stay away from 
from Rice Krispies with chocolate on. They're really good. Because <laughs> I had some yesterday. And, you know, I've got to choose what I'm going to do. It's going to take me getting passionate about it. And I want to tell you something. I, I decided because I'm sweet, I decided when Trisha had her surgery the other night that I was going to sleep in the hospital room. Dude, that was stupid. Okay, and I'm going to tell you, she goes, you don't need to do that. She goes, I won't know what's going on. They'll take care of me. I'm like, no, baby, I'm going to stay here because, you know, I'm the man. So I, I'm going to stay there, right? Every 30 minutes, somebody was in that room. I needed my own nurse to take care of me, you know? I mean, and, and then I'm sleeping in this chair that's like the lazy boy from hell because, I mean, this thing, it still had the tag on it. It was brand new. Nobody know how to, knew how to put it back together and adjust it. So I'm sitting there. Monica was there when I was in there. Carol was in there. I leaned over to this thing and it had these two little black handles on the side. This is in my notes. <laughs> There's these two little hands on the side. I pulled it. When I pulled it, that thing went like that. It almost shot me through the roof. And it was on wheels that I did not know how to lock. So all night, whenever I'd roll, I'd go. I'd roll over this way. You know, I'm like, this is uncomfortable. I think they don't want you to stay there or something. I don't know what the deal was. <laughs> I should have known better. But, but what I want you to understand with all this is that if you're going to help, if you're going to make a decision to do something in your life, you have to choose to be passionate about it. So here's what you need to do. You know right now the areas in your life you need help. You know. Nobody would be surprised if you sat down and wrote a list of four or five things out. This year I'm going to do X, 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 whatever. You know what those are. Statistically, more people accomplish things if they write them down. And it's a vast statistic, and I'm sorry I didn't look that up. But it's not just going to happen. So what you need to do this week is you need to write down some of your goals for this year. If your goal is to lose 35 pounds, you need to write, lose 35 pounds. And then you need to go a step beyond that and say, how am I going to do that? The reason I started talking about the hospital is it was no fun to be there. I don't want to be there with somebody having to look at my heart going, man, I hope he makes it. I wouldn't be a very good pastor from the hospital room, would I? I need to take care of myself. Some of y'all need to take care of yourself. Amen? Let's be honest. But what about other areas in your life? Maybe you smoke, or, or maybe you, need, you know you need to get more savings in the bank, or maybe you need to whatever fill in the blank. You need to write that down, and then you need to figure out how you're going to accomplish that. If you're having challenges with that, call me. Set up an appointment. Call Cindy. Set up an appointment. I'll sit down with you, and I'll help you put a plan together. Okay? So now you don't have an excuse. But there's going to be some areas in your life you want to get better at. But you're going to have to get passionate about it or it will never change. You'll go into 2012 with the same goals. That's not living real life, y'all. That's just surviving. That's just kind of making it. We have to get like Josiah. When we're confronted with the truth, the truth that I'm telling you today, you all have a decision to make when you leave this place. I can't wait for lunch. <laughs> or... Man, he said some things today that God really implanted on my heart, and there's some areas I need to deal with. You need to write those down, and you need to do something about them. The reason you need to talk to somebody else about them is because you need somebody to help you keep accountable. So write them down. Write out a plan. Sit down with me or somebody else that you trust when you write those things out, and, and that person is going to ask you how you're doing about those things. 
Pretty good stuff, huh? This is not complicated. The Bible is not complicated, but it's hard. It's not complicated, but it's hard. But we're not going to make it by ourselves. We have to realize that the reason God puts other people in our life is to help us. We are all part of the same body. And here's the truth. Here, here's why I'm so passionate about helping you find out what God's called you to do and walking in the fullness of life. Because when you win, I win. Because we're all in this together. Does that make sense? And when you're successful, I'm successful. Your success is my success. I'm not competing with anybody in this room. We're all on the same team. So the first thing is write your goals down. Second part of that is write some of how you're going to accomplish those goals. The third thing is you need to tell somebody about those goals, and they need to keep you accountable to them. You'll be amazed how much better you'll do when somebody's calling you every day or every other day saying, hey, how are you doing on number one? How are you doing on number three? If you know they're going to call you, you'll probably do a little better at it, won't you? Amen? Woo, this is pretty good, y'all. It's not easy fun teaching, but it's good. I mean, does anybody want their life to be better? No, I'm good, Pastor. I'm good. I'm broke, but I got it going on. You know, I don't think so. I mean, this is serious stuff. So if you want to get better, do those things. If you want to stay the same, then don't. Pretty simple. Right? Can I get a big amen? amen. <laughs> All three of you. <laughs> but, you know, it really is pretty simple, isn't it? What are your goals? Write them down. Get somebody accountable to them and do them. Amen? I wrote as uh, letter A here, salvation costs you nothing. It costs you nothing. It costs God everything. Jesus being the Lord of your life will cost you everything. If you want to really accomplish things in life, you can be saved and you can get into heaven. You can just sneak right in. But if you want him to be Lord, if you want your life to really count, it's going to cost you everything. You're going to have to ask him first what you need to do. Number four, Josiah recognized the key to victory. He recognized the key to victory. And for Josiah, the, the key to victory was repentance. His country needed to repent. He needed to repent for what they had done wrong, how they had walked away from God. This is the point for you. In your own life, there are keys to victory in your personal situation. Every situation you face, there's a key to victory. There's a victory in every situation that you face. God will show you what they are, but here's the blank. You must ask him. You must ask him. There's a key to the victory in the situation that you're in, but in order to understand what that key is, you need to ask God. God, help me. Show me how to get out of this situation. And look, just to save yourself a little heartache, don't do it last. Don't wait till I've tried everything and nothing's worked. Anybody ever done that before? And then you go to God. God, I've done all that I can do. And he went, yep. Sure enough did. He didn't say that. <laughs> but the truth is, usually when we go to God, it's when we've exhausted ourselves. And then we turn to him. Why not go to him first? Why not go to God at the beginning of the situation and say, Lord, here's the challenge. I'm having a challenge with one of my children. Father, show me what to do. And then let God work with you. Because here's the deal. God's real, right? Then why wouldn't we ask him? 
Doesn't he love that child more than you do? Doesn't he want you to be more blessed financially than you are? Doesn't God want you to be healthier than you are? Then why not go to him first? So here's the deal. When you're writing down your goals for the year, you need to put in there parentheses by and pray about what God wants me to do. He will show you. Here's the thing that I've learned about spiritual people that are, are people that are really, really mature spiritually, they're prayer warriors. I was talking to a friend of mine, Mark Dolphins, yesterday. You all met Mark a while back. He's the pastor of First Assembly of God in Hickory, North Carolina. I think they're the fastest growing church in North Carolina. Mark is a dear friend, and I called him yesterday. I just had a few questions I was bouncing off of him. And here, here's what he'll tell me. Well, I was praying about this. Well, I was praying about that. He doesn't even have to tell me how he starts. I know the guy's praying before he's doing something. Because he's smart enough. This is a guy with a business degree, like me. He's smart enough to know that God knows more than he knows. So instead of just going and doing something in his own strength, why reinvent the wheel? Why not go to God first? So there's one of your keys right there. It's very, very important. Salvation costs you nothing. Jesus being Lord of your life will cost you everything. Josiah recognized the key to victory, and for you to find the key to victory in your situation, you need to ask God, and he will tell you. Amen? Amen. Number five, somebody say amen. (laughs) Josiah retained a personal commitment to succeed. I wrote this down. People, your family or your employees, never become more committed than you are. People will never come, become more committed to something than you're committed to it. Josiah's personal commitment inspired the people to be faithful despite their evil desires and their history. Why is this important? If you're the head of your household, so, see, I want to clear up a couple of misconceptions and then we'll close. Right now, if I ask you how many of your leaders, probably about 15 of you would raise your hands. The truth is, everybody in this room, somebody's following them. Whether it's your kid, whether it's other children, whether it's your employees, whether it's students at school, whether it's your dog, somebody is following you. You are leading someone. But let me tell you something. People will only follow you as far as they see your commitment to something. You can order someone to do something, but if they see that you're really not committed to it, they're not going to do it either. Ultimately, they'll stop. They're only going to be as committed as you are. Why is that important? Because when we look at what Josiah did, he realized what it was going to take, and he was passionate about making those changes, but he stuck to his guns. He never backed off. And so the people around them, remember, they had had the same influences that he had for the last 250 years. And the people around him saw his personal commitment. And because the leader was committed, everybody else was too. And they changed that country because they were committed. When you decide to make a change in your own personal life, you have got to be committed to it. And then the people around you will rally together when they see your commitment. That means when hard times come, you don't back up. That means when it gets a little tough, you stick to your guns. Are you going to have bad days? Absolutely. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. You know, there are times, and I can tell you as your pastor, I've, I face challenges, believe it or not. 
more than umbrellas even. <laughs> there are times, there's a couple weeks ago, I was talking to my dad, and Trish wasn't feeling good, and we were getting ready to go do the surgery, and this, that, and the other thing, and, and I, I was talking to dad, and, and when he came here, he talked to me, he said, son, do you remember when we talked a couple weeks ago? I said, yes, sir. He said, you know what I heard in your voice the other day? I said, what's that, dad? He said, you were almost whining. Almost whining's not whining. I didn't think it was. But he said, you were almost whining. We don't have whiners in our family. He said, you were almost feeling sorry for yourself. And he looked at me and he said, stop it. I'm going to tell some of you today, some of the situations that you're in are hard. You're facing some challenges right now that are tough. But let me tell you something. Stop whining. I say, Pastor, that sounds so hard. Don't you want to cultivate my whining and make me feel better? We can have a pity party together. Let me tell you something. That's going to accomplish absolutely nothing. Nothing. And the people that rally around you when you feel bad and are helping you whine are helping you accomplish absolutely nothing. You want victory in your situation? Step up. Put your big girl and your big boy pants on. That sounds spiritual? It is. If you want to accomplish something for God, you're going to have to grow up. Paul said that to people. He said, look, I keep having to go back in the Scripture and tell you about the repentance of sins. I want to be talking to you about how to raise the dead and pray for people. But you're all over here acting like little babies all the time. He said, all I can do is give you spiritual milk. And he said, but you should be grown up. And see, the reality is we choose that. Are things going to get hard in your life? Yes. Some of you right now are facing some very hard situations. Let me tell you something. In love, grow up. <laughs> Jesus died so that you could have victory. You have to choose whether or not to take it. So if you choose to live in defeat, you are choosing to live in defeat. It's not because God has not given you the ability to overcome the situation. You're choosing not to win. Man, that sounds hard. It is true. It is true. So where are you today? Let me tell you something. Within the next 10 years, after Josiah made that commitment that we're going to turn our country around, within the next 10 years, Josiah accomplished more than any of the previous 15 kings of Judah. <laughs> why, why is that important? 15 kings, 400, 250 years. In 10 years, he accomplished more than was accomplished in 250 years. Why? Because he wasn't willing to back up. Right now, no matter how old or how young you are today, if you will make a decision, God, I'm going to commit myself to you this year. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to stand up and be the man or woman of God. Lord, I know I messed up yesterday. But today... I choose to follow you today. I choose to follow you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus said that. Don't worry about tomorrow. He said tomorrow's got enough problems. You can't do anything about yesterday. He said today. So you know what? Today. Choose today. What am I going to do today? Today am I going to be the person that God's called me to be? Today am I going to commit myself? Today. Because if you will do that, in the next five to ten years, God will radically change your situation just like he did for Josiah. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that your word is true. And Lord, as I share this today, there are even things in my own life that I know that you're 
working on me about, Father, but I also know it's true. I know it's true. So, Father, today, today, we choose. We choose to do things your way. And, Father, we're not responsible for anybody else's decisions. We're not responsible for our husband's decisions. We're not responsible for our wives' decisions. We're not responsible for our boss's decisions, for our brothers and sisters. But, Lord, we are responsible for our own decisions. So I pray today, Father, that your word would penetrate deep within us as you promised it would. And I pray, Father, right now you're working on some people's hearts. And they're looking at the challenges in their situation. And your word is hope. And your word is encouragement. Jesus, you said you came to set the captives free. To help those that didn't have any strength. So, Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will begin to move in this place and you begin to touch hearts. Even right now, Lord. If you're here today, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, that's me. There's some things in my life, there's some challenges that I'm facing right now and I need help. But you know what? Today I'm going to make a commitment to God. I'm going to allow God to come in and work on my situation. I'm going to partner with God. If that's you today, I want you just to slip your hand up. Say, Pastor, that's me. I've got some things I'm dealing with, and I'm going to partner with God. Amen. I see hands all over the auditorium. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Say, Pastor, that's me. Or maybe you're here today. You say, Pastor, you're talking about salvation. You're talking about making Jesus Lord. I have not made him the Lord of my life. I'm not saved. I've never received Jesus as my Savior. But today I want to do that. I want to commit my heart to God. I want to get him involved in my business. If that's you today and you want to receive him as your Savior, just slip your hand up. Say, Pastor, that's me. Pastor, that's me today. Amen. Or maybe you're here today and you are a Christian, but you've walked away. And it's not an accident that you're here today. This message is for you. And the Lord's telling you to come on home. He's not mad at you. God is not mad at you. And if that's you today, and say, Pastor, today I want to recommit my heart to the Lord. I just want to rededicate my life to Him. Just slip your hand up. Say, Pastor, that's me. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. So many people raised their hands this morning that are dealing with something. You've got challenges in your life. You've you've got things. And the truth is, folks, we all have things we're dealing with, every one of us in this room. So this is for all of us today. Amen. Everybody just put your hand over your heart. Everybody in the room, put your hand over your heart. I want you to just repeat this after me. Just pray it from your heart, okay? Jesus. Thank you so much for loving me and dying for me. Today, I recommit my heart to you. Help me in the challenges of my life. I ask you today to not only be my Savior, but be my Lord. Help me to do your things your way. Thank you.
Amen. Father, I pray a blessing over these folks today. Lord, your word is true, and you've got a plan for each one of our lives. And, and Father, I thank you for each life represented here today. I pray, Father, that as we leave this place, as we leave this place, that your presence would be with us. Lord, help us to be committed to what you've called us to do so that we can live a life like no one else. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, God bless you this week. Hopefully we'll see you tonight at 5.30. God bless you.